Hey y'all, this is Ginger DeVries, guest number 56 of the podcast encouraging you today to use your position to broadcast God's love. All things work together for the good to those who love God and to those who's called according to his purpose. God has sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. Freedom, my friends. That season may not be the thing that you wanted necessarily, but God needs you to learn something. Hindsight with God, you understand, but in the middle of stuff, you just gotta hang on and trust Him. We're not supposed to do for God, we're supposed to be for God. The doing is a side effect. God is able to bless you abundantly. If He can take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, yes. so more can He do for you. It's all going to work together for your good. If you love God, you just continue to stay. Stay humble, seek God, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God's word says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We pray this episode is an encouragement to you to go out and use your position to broadcast his love. From Scotto Albritton Studios, here's your host, Ricky. Hey everyone, and welcome to Broadcast His Love. This is a podcast where we talk about what life looks like when we decrease our name and increase God's name, because it's all about Jesus living life on purpose for him, on purpose for him. I just want to drive that home to whoever's listening today and just doesn't feel like they have any hope or purpose or passion or energy. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I just pray for the person listening to realize that there is hope. There is hope. And oh man, I have goosebumps. Today I'm so excited for the person listening because you are going to be encouraged. No matter if you feel full of hope or if you feel hopeless, this message is not only going to encourage you, but you are going to get a message to encourage someone else today to Jesus and to start living life on purpose for for him, for Jesus, if you aren't already. So today we have on James Belt. He's an author. He wrote a book called Hope Realized. He used to work in finance in his family (laughs) business, which is so cool. Um, And then he moves to Nicaragua. God leads him to move to Nicaragua. And he comes back and he writes this book. And now we're going to get blessed by it. So how are you, James? I'm great, Ricky. How are you? I'm already excited. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, because being hopeless is so like, I mean, you just are, you're just sad. It's just awful. It's Mm. depressing. It's awful. But hope filled is a life fulfilled. And that energy comes from Jesus. So in your book, I mean, you've really gotten a new perspective on poverty and how to address it and going to the deeper issue. And I just, I really want to start with that. How did God give you this idea to help eliminate poverty? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. So I started going to Nicaragua in 2007. Uh, my my family actually went the year prior to, to me. Uh, they went down on a mission trip with our church to an orphanage there. And I was kind of like the reluctant uh, the reluctant missionary, so to speak. You know, I was like, ah, they can go down. I was working in finance, like you said at the time, and kind of had them had them go down and I said, I'll send the check, you know, to help support you, but I don't feel the need to go down per se. Well, I ended up going a year later to do their coaxing and um, just kind of telling me how exciting it was. And 
fell in love with the country. And as I really spent some time there, started asking questions. You know, I at first I didn't really know exactly why I was there, um, other than maybe checking the box. But you know, I started asking questions, and uh, we can get into it more. But I ended up living there for for a period of time. And and as I started asking, kind of, well, why is poverty? here uh, and exploring that topic and sometimes exploring it um, really well and sometimes learning things along the way uh, and just kind of came to this understanding and really asking myself the question, well, people I'm interacting with in Nicaragua are just as capable as I am, just as intelligent as I am, have just as much God-given potential as I do, but yet they're in this circumstance they're they're stuck in poverty they're stuck in the midst of hopelessness it seems and yeah. so that kind of led me down this road of saying well what is it exactly that that you know allows the poverty to persist despite their their abilities and that's really where this idea of what what I say call all in hope or you know practical and spiritual hope uh, and addressing what I what I call the lie of hopelessness so and I don't believe anybody is truly hopeless uh, but we can get caught in this lie of hopelessness and believing that we are created for a life of less than, that nothing can ever change. And it, we can have this perspective that, you know, uh, my life really doesn't have meaning. And we can all have that perspective, obviously. But the impact of that when living in poverty can be can be extreme. And so um, what I found was it's that hopelessness that actually allows poverty to persist. I think of it almost like an iceberg, if you were to imagine, you know, the the 90 percent uh, of an iceberg is below the surface. That 10% uh, is above the surface. And that's what we often think of as by, as poverty. It's the byproducts, right? The, um, the things that we don't, um, you know, hunger, uh, lack of education, everything that we see, it's the 90% that feeds it. And that's the hopelessness. Yeah. You write in your book about hopelessness all throughout, um, relating to people with different quotes and stories. But one, I think, that everyone can relate to is the lie that quote, my life will mm. always be like this. Yeah. And even if you don't say it, you might think it. And what a lie from Satan. Yeah. You know, my life will not always be like this. Like we yeah. get heaven as Christians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, oftentimes, you know, I think of it as, I guess I, I frame it as like kind of a broken identity, you know, that we see ourselves a certain way. And as you said, believe that nothing can ever change. And, you know, a lot can go into that. It can be our environment. It can be uh, just our own perspective on ourselves. Um, you know, maybe not having a clear picture of of who created you and, and why you were created. You know, I, I talk about um, being created by God on purpose and for a purpose and knowing that God loves you. Well, if you don't have that perspective, you know, it can be easy to get um, sidetracked, to get uh, convinced by your circumstances circumstances that your life really isn't that meaningful. And, you know, that obviously, like I said, that can, that that's happened to me. I mean, even in moments, you know, now, you know, as much as I feel like I've gained so much hope, there can be moments in my life where I still kind of fall into that thought pattern of, of feeling like, you know, is there really meaning in my life? Am I really hope filled? And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's, that's not the truth. Right. Um, you know, that's not, that's not actually what I believe. But it can be it can feel that way. And you know, for people that are are caught in poverty, you know, much of what they experience and and much of many of the people around them are um, convinced that that's the perspective. Not everybody. There are a lot of people in poverty that have a ton of hope, but oftentimes sometimes more hope yeah. than I have. Yeah. But there is a there is a tendency to have that perspective because everything reinforces that. And, um, you know, it's kind of generational. And so 
Yeah, it can really it can really catch people in that lie and make it hard to escape, even when the resources are there. Sometimes, you know, I've had experiences where resources are there, but yet people ha- aren't able to overcome that. And it, I talk about basically the need to reframe that identity um, yeah. to uh, to provide a sp- uh, spark. As I talk about, I talk about how actually kind of in the form of like an engine, the spark is a spiritual hope. Um, that we have that we have that we are able to gain this reframed identity that creates spiritual hope in us um, that allows us to move beyond our present circumstances not again not a a get rich quick kind of a perspective yep. but more of a ability to persist in the midst of the challenges and not give up because you believe you're created for more absolutely yeah you're not a sizzling sparkler you're not no. like <laughs> live for it very short sparkle you know real bright real bright yeah, yeah, real yeah. quick uh no <laughs> no this is spiritual hope so yes. what a good thing to think about a spark i mean i'm just thinking yeah. about a star and just internally how bright it shines mm. let jesus be that light that shines through you and for anybody who's questioning hey how do i do that well you go to the bible and you learn about his character and you know, you get saved and you ask Jesus to be in your heart. And then he, the creator of the universe, you know, three in one father, son, Holy spirit lives inside of you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just don't do life alone. It's so great. And it's so hope filled. Hmm. Um, Something that you spoke about or wrote about, you did not speak about it. You wrote about it in the book. And I would love for you to elaborate a little bit more about the coffee that was being produced and you talked about how or you wrote you did not sorry <laughs> i have talked talk. about it so <laughs> okay okay sorry um 50 of what they were producing was actually being sold and the rest of it wasn't i mean how you know as a business people who work in business if 50 percent of the product that you're producing is being sold and the other 50 percent, i mean what are you doing with it kind of a thing that yeah. does lead to hopelessness. Yeah. Very surface level hopelessness. Um, could you speak a little bit about that story and what was the result? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So that's a funny story. So I, uh, that was my parents actually. So I have a, a adopted sister from Nicaragua. Uh, she's now 29. She was 15 when, when she was adopted. And my mom was actually kind of living there on and off while while that was going on, I had the chance to travel down to Nicaragua. And this is right around the time when I started to ask some of those questions, you know, why are people in these circumstances? What difference can I make? And a friend of mine was doing some work, a Nicaraguan friend out in the rural areas of Nicaragua and kind of coffee country and had given uh, me the opportunity to go out with him to this particular area. Uh, the town we stayed in is called Pueblo de las Montañas. And that basically means town of the mountains. That literally what it was what it was. We went out to this town, you know, dirt roads, um, very little, you know, running water or electricity. And we pulled up to this house in the evening and it was a one room house divided by a sheet. Uh, and this nice woman allowed us to stay in her house and she gave up her they had two beds. They gave up one of the beds uh, for for one of us, and the the mom and the kids slept in the bed. And they put a cot out, and I actually slept on the cot. And I can still remember this was one of my first experiences, you know, outside of poverty. And my my experience as a as a person from the U.S. I'm yeah. sleeping on this cot, and I wake up, and there's this little chicken head bobbing by me. And I'm like, I'm not in Kansas <laughs> anymore. You what know, is but... a chicken doing right <laughs> exactly, next to my cot? 
But the reality is if you live in in that situation, you're protecting your animals, right? By keeping yeah. them into the house. Yeah, so I no mean, that's your steals food. them or no one eats them or whatever, you know? And so exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we go out the next day and we get to go out to these coffee farms and it's like a Folgers commercial. If you can imagine, you know, we're out in this farm, it's beautiful, it's green. We're walking through the mountains. And at the end, we get a chance to talk to these coffee farmers. They're from a cooperative. And they basically explained to me, and my friend, that they are able to produce, you know, plenty of coffee uh, that could support their families and their community, but they're only able to sell about 50% because they sell most of it locally and they don't have a bulk buyer. And I'm, you know, kind of in my early to mid twenties and I'm like, I've, I've got this all figured out. So I yeah. hear myself say, I can help. <laughs> you know? and I'm like, where did that even come from? <laughs> but um, So I say, I can help. Uh, to these guys. And, you know, I basically go on to say, I'll figure out how to connect you with Starbucks and, you know, we'll work it all out. And so they're like, okay. Um, And so I go home to the United States. Yeah, exactly. Easy, right? (laughs) Where's the easy button? Help us out. Um, So uh, I go home to the United States and I email Starbucks and they were nice enough to email me back. And they said, well, James, you know, here's the process. And it involves sending green coffee beans to Switzerland and all these, I'm pretty sure I'd already messed up the process, to be honest with you, uh, because I brought coffee beans home the way I did. And I didn't store them properly, whatever. But I ended yeah. up finding out I was not quite capable of of being an international coffee trader at that point. And I had kind of created a situation. I don't think they were probably looking back. The coffee farmer is as surprised as I was. But I did kind of make an accidental promise to them because culturally, when I said, yeah, I would do it, that was kind of a promise. And I came back and I had to say, well, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I didn't quite figure it out. I wasn't quite capable. But the good part about that story is that it made me take a step back and say, well, maybe I have something to learn here. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I ended up feeling the call to move to Nicaragua in 2011, uh, when I moved there in 2012, I went with the uh, the idea with a purpose of saying, I'm not going to jump right in and say, I have the solution. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. I'm going to try to understand what the what the issues are, you know, the culture and how I can play a role before I jump in and say, I, I have the solution. And that was really important. And I think without having gone through that coffee farm experience, I might not have taken that same approach. And so, yeah, so it was, it was a learning experience and challenging, but it was really good because it did make me kind of take a step back and say, well, what is it exactly that's, that's creating this situation? It is interesting that you say that you moved there And then you said, I need to listen and learn the culture before I can have a solution. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm just thinking about this applies to so many things, Mm. anything new that you're a part of listening and learning the culture, whatever it is, a job, a new gym membership. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You know what? Just anything new that you're a part Mm. of listen and learn the culture before you can have a solution. Yeah. It's so humbling. Yeah. I like to say, you know, I tell people, you know, Hey, if you want to get engaged, if you want to make a difference. And one of the things I like to say is I think everyone has the opportunity uh, to make a difference, but when you're going to take that step, a really good first step is to be curious to really say, okay, well, what's going on? Like one, um, be curious about yourself, your own story and, and your own, even maybe preconceived ideas, but also to be curious about, uh, the place that you want to serve, the people that you want to serve, try to understand, you know, their, their culture, their situation, you probably have a lot to learn. 
Yeah. So a question that you asked and when you said it, I'm like, oh, I got to find a way to, to get this in. But, you know, you just <laughs> brought it up. So that's God um, talking about being curious mm. for the person who's listening. Before James and I started recording, he said, um, how can I best serve your listeners? What can I say? Like, what conversation can I bring to the table to best serve your listeners? You were curious. And I think I have something to learn here, our listeners as well. Maybe you have something to learn here. I don't know. But I want to know, like, where did you get this ambition to take a step back and be curious to listen and learn and um, to have something to bring to the table to serve other people? I mean, that is, that's Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, how did you learn that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it is Jesus, you know, and I think that Jesus was, is always and was, you know, if you re- read in the Bible, always curious, right? Always asked a lot of good questions. And um, I think, I don't know that it's a quote, but I, you know, they say wisdom a lot of times starts with that way, right? It's asking good questions. It's being willing to to listen and to to understand. And I think in the end, it really came down to life experience too. So, you know, my own life experience, maybe sometimes not listening, putting my foot in my mouth or 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 thinking I had the the answer uh, and then realizing I didn't or you know watching different people in my life that have that have played a role in my life and seeing how uh, curiosity has played a really important role in allowing them to make a difference and allowing them to kind of you know live out their god-given potential and so um I, I think that's really what it's come down to and to be honest now that I think about it even more Part of it for me is I just believe that everybody is filled with God-given potential mm-hmm. and, you know, are, you know, are equally created by God um, to thrive. And so when I when I talk to somebody, my assumption is that they have something to offer. And so that that's probably a huge piece of it, too. You talk about in the beginning of the book, just mm-hmm. this process of understanding hopelessness. Mm. And. I want to read a little bit. It's on page 17, Hope Realized. Um, It says, I came to understand the role the lie of hopelessness plays in the perpetuation of poverty. Could it be that what we often believe to be the causes of poverty are actually a byproduct of something deeper? Hmm. Hopelessness has incredible power, as I have learned over my time living and working in Nicaragua, but my experience have my experiences have also convinced me that it's a lie. And I just I want to talk more about this because I think a lot of people can relate to you, James, being a type A, um, being driven, being, you know, a lot of our listeners live in the US, but a lot of people live all over, um, mm-hmm. all over the world. And I mean, I can go on Instagram, I can go on social media and see that ambition is not only here in the U.S., but it's just the surface level hope that we believe um, of like hoping for a new car or a new house or I don't even know. Like you just really go deep into the idea of the root of hopelessness. And I just... I don't want the person who's listening to walk away from this conversation and just be like, and feel an ounce of hope. I mean, I just, I believe God for it. I just feel like you have seen the face of poverty and seen the face of hopelessness. And I just want you to share that. Is there just anything that you can share to encourage the person listening about this perpetuation of poverty? 
Yeah, I mean, so when we talk about that, you know, when we talk about the byproducts, you know, the things that we think about hunger, um, a lack of education, unemployment, you know, those are the things that come to mind. And honestly, it can feel overwhelming, right? We we look at it all and we're like, well, that's a lot of different issues to deal with. And that's the truth. It is a reality. It is a lot, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and we it, have can issues. Make, it can kind of leave yes. us feeling hopeless sometimes yeah. uh, when we when we think about it all. But what I've found in my experience, and not just in Nicaragua, really this applies anywhere that poverty exists, mm-hmm. is that those those byproducts or those those things we often identify as poverty are really a byproduct, as I had said, of a of a deeper issue of hopelessness. And, and as I said, a lie of hopelessness, because I don't believe anybody is truly hopeless. Um, I believe everyone is born with God-given potential, um, that they were created on purpose and for a purpose by God who loves them. But when we lose that perspective, or we don't have that perspective, it can be easy to be convinced, especially if our reality is one that, you know, is, is in poverty. You know, I, I spend a lot of time I spent a lot of time and still spend a lot of time in neighborhoods in Nicaragua, especially that um, you would imagine uh, are pretty hopeless. You know, if you just went in, you know, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of people that live in plastic wrapped houses or sh- or shacks made of whatever you can find um, in the area. You know, they may, may or may not be squatting in that particular area. And there are a lot of people that are just kind of kind of standing around and and, um, you know, and and. The poverty is very clear. You know, it's not uh, sometimes you can drive through down the street and there's poverty, but you might not know. But in this situation, it's very clear. And um, so the environment really reinforces that. It says, um, you know, there isn't there isn't any hope. Um, I talk about hope in both a practical and a spiritual sense. And that's really important because when we talk about hopelessness. It's it's the same. Right. Right. So it's right. that lack of opportunity sometimes that that plays a huge role in convincing us that that things are hopeless. And that's what I'm talking about here is that you know, in this particular community called El Canyon, that's was my first community I was ever introduced to in Nicaragua. Yeah, it's it's that picture of of kind of you look around and you're like, well, it doesn't look like anybody really has an opportunity um, yeah. to to move beyond their their current and present circumstances, and that really convinces people that that there isn't anything more. And then if that's um, compounded by the fact that maybe they believe that they were created for a life of less than it again fuels that lie of hopelessness that that convinces them um, that nothing can ever change. And so it's addressing both those two issues. It's addressing the lack of a real opportunity uh, by creating real opportunities, um, investing in their God-given mm-hmm. potential, right? Um, yeah. That's education, that could be vocational training. There's lots of ways to do that. Uh, you know, we can all do that really. Or And then helping people to see that they aren't um, created for a life of less them, reframing their identity around the truth that they were created on purpose for purpose by a God who loves them and helping them to see that because uh, it's true about them, whether they know it or not. And that's what I think is really neat to think about, you know, and if you were, if you were to say, maybe you're feeling hopeless today, the reality is you are, you are created on purpose for purpose by a God who loves you, even if you don't feel that way. And that can create a lot of hope when we can grab onto that. Cause I know, again, I go through days where I don't always feel that way. But then I can fall back on that reality that that's not the truth. The truest thing about me is that I was um, created uh, by God who has purpose for my life. I loved how you were talking about opportunities, Mm. like you creating opportunities. I mean, we're so blessed. If you are bored right now, you can sign up. There's like this whole thing with community colleges all across the United States where you can pay like a hundred bucks and learn a new skill. 
-hmm. on your computer. If you're bored, you can learn a new skill. And if you get a good, you know, test score, you can get a certificate and you can print it off and put it up on your wall and you can do it again and again and again. You just do a bunch of classes, learn all kinds of stuff, be a photographer if you want to, or host a podcast. You can take a class on that. Have you heard of Victor E. Frankel's The Will of Meaning before? I'm familiar with Victor E. Frankel, but I'm not the will of meaning necessarily. Okay. So I heard this from Pastor Chris Hodges um, with Church of the Highlands. Do you uh-huh. know who that? Okay. Yes. So um, he got this from him, but he wrote a book really about this. Mm-hmm. And it's it talks about the will of meaning. You know, do meaningful work is one of the things to do. Do meaningful work. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to do this work with a community of people. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is to take whatever suffering you've experienced and use it, use it for good. I want to say that mm-hmm. last thing um, again, because I just want to make sure the person who's listening is listening to this. Take whatever suffering you have experienced and use it for good. So mm-hmm. just think about any suffering that you've experienced right now. How can you use that for good? You know, with my dad's passing, I'm able to now talk about death in a whole mm-hmm. new way that um, I never could have before, you know, and he's a believer. Thank God for that. But I can come alongside my sisters and brothers in Christ who have lost someone and comfort them the way God has comforted me through that. So um the only reason why I wanted to talk about it is because there's a story you share in your book um, talking about a guy who has a bike shop in Nicaragua yeah. and, you know, he's taken this suffering that he's experienced and used it for good. He's, he's taken his education and used it for good. He, you know, just share a little bit about his testimony, if you don't mind. Um, and then we will wrap up here with the last question, but just that story of creating opportunity, you know? Yeah. 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 So, uh, and it still exists today. So Vinica Bike Shop, uh, it started in 2014. And as you had said, the the guy, Josh Jensky, who was a part of starting it, you know, he grew up on the Atlantic coast of Nicaragua. His dad was a pastor, is a pastor actually still on the Atlantic coast of Nicaragua in a town called Bluefields and kind of grew up, you know, pretty poor, really, you know, his family, I, I've talked to Josh and he's told me stories. His family, his house was destroyed by a hurricane when they were a kid, uh, literally, you know, and they had, to, I think a couple of times had to rebuild their house and, you know, just kind of lived, uh, you know, pretty impoverished life from that standpoint. Um, but had this, these parents that, that had this perspective that, you know, Josh was created on purpose for a purpose by a guy who loves him, grew up uh, and then eventually moved over to the West Coast. Of Nicaragua to Managua. And, um, you know, as I got a chance to meet him in 2012, was working in an orphanage over there in this one particular property. And and I was doing some agriculture development and vocational training over there, which is how we got connected. And we, we kind of came together and uh, there an opportunity came about that, uh, that we could start this bike shop where there was already some vocational training going on there with bikes. And Josh, um, because he uh, had just shown this promise um, that, you know, he was created, like I said, he had this kind of perspective on himself. We decided he would be the person to come alongside us. And it's not like Josh, Josh's life from that standpoint, I, I kind of lost over his entire life, I guess, but he hadn't kind of lost this hope uh, throughout that whole, that whole period of time. And, you know, he would even say now that, you know, he's even still kind of growing in that sense. But we we launched this bike shop in, in 2014, you know, used bikes that came down from the U.S. to to start this bike shop. 
And uh, what's been neat to watch is you know, Nicaragua is a is second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So you can imagine starting a business there is is a bit challenging. And you know there were ups and downs. There's been a lot of ups and downs through that. But what Josh saw in the bike shop was this real opportunity, and he grabbed onto it. He didn't say like, well, you know, gosh, I live in the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. Um, you know, these guys want to help me start a business. I just really. I don't even know if that's a possibility. He took a chance because I believe he saw, he said, well, there's something more for me and I'm willing to take a chance, you know, and I know that God has me either way. And so he took a chance and, and started the spike shop with us. And now, um, you know, over the course of time it's developed and he's been able to employ other people and bring other people along with him. And, and the Nika bike shop is now actually one of the largest bike retailers in Nicaragua selling, selling pre-owned bikes, but it's been neat. And what's been cool is, not only um, has that been successful, but it's also created a lot of opportunity for him to invest in other people and, and to encourage them, you know, and, and to use it as a platform to, to one, you know, give them opportunities, but also to help point them to, to Jesus and to the fact that they were created on purpose and for purpose. And it's a great picture. It's really important to have people like Josh um, anywhere, obviously, but in a place like Nicaragua, where people wonder if there's really hope for them to see a picture of hope in Josh uh, plays a big role in, in helping other people reach that. So yeah, it's a, he's a, and he's actually our field director for Nico works. I work with an organization called Nico works that does development work um, in communities and, and uh, with churches and things of that sort of Nicaragua. And Josh is, works with us there and that as well. And again, it's just a, a great picture of hope and a beacon of hope for, for that community. I cannot leave this conversation without saying these words uh, about hope because it's in your book. Hope is a noun, not a verb. Mm, yeah. And I, I know you didn't have like the direct source of where you got that from, but for whoever is listening and is still questioning what hope is, we're not talking about surface level hope. We're mm-hmm. digging deeper. Yeah. Hope the noun not the verb. Yeah, that's super important. You know, like you said, you said earlier in our conversation that, you know, sometimes we think, well, uh, I hope I win. My team wins. You know, I'm a, I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. And I've been saying that a lot for the past 20 some years or so, and it hasn't gone well for me. But anyway, um, that, you know, that perspective is often what we think of as hope, but when it's something foundational based on, you know, someone, uh, foundational, and in this case, um, my belief in Jesus, you know, and in uh, and the God that loves me, it created me on purpose and for a purpose. It really changes everything. It's no yeah. longer just this kind of wishy-washy feeling. It's actually something foundational and life-changing. Yeah, you don't hope for something surface level, whatever that is for you. You don't hope for blank. You hope for heaven. Yeah. You hope yeah. for Jesus. And in that time, while we are here, you can use the opportunities God has given you and make the best use of them. Mm-hmm. Um Ephesians 5, 16. I mean, not to just like (laughs) make it, make this sound awful, but it's like making the best use of the time because the Mm. days are evil. You know, I mean, Galatians 6, 10 says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Mm. I just, I think about the bike shop. How good work is that? So that's um, cool. Every person who comes on the podcast, we ask them what Bible verse is encouraging you in the season. So what's helping you out? No, that's a great question. Yeah. So Romans uh, eight, 
verse one says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about that, you know, that basically uh, through Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life to set you free from the law of sin and death. And I just think for me, sometimes uh, I can get in this perspective that, um, as I said, I can feel hopeless at times. I can feel like my life um, doesn't have meaning or I can wonder and get kind of anxious about how are things going to go? Um, and I forget that I'm in God's hands and that I can trust, I can trust in him. But the other reason that really means a lot to me is I think it's a beautiful picture of this idea that no one is created hopeless. Um, you know, that no one, uh, is created for less than that. Everyone is filled with God given potential and that God didn't create people to be condemned in that sense, you know, that, that there's no condemnation, um, in Christ Jesus. And so when we grab onto that, that spiritual hope, that reframed identity that that's found in relationship with Jesus, that, that it can change everything. It can change the way that you, um, that you see your life and, uh, and, you know, really give you hope even, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. And so, um, you know, I just want to encourage that and encourage people that, you know, with that concept, you can share that with other people, you know, and sometimes the best way to remember that there's no condemnation, that you're not hopeless is by making a difference in someone else's life. And I truly believe everyone has that opportunity and uh, and has the ability to make a difference. James Belt, author of Hope Realized, How the Power of Practical and Spiritual Development Can Diminish Poverty and Expose the Lie of Hopelessness. I love your book. I hope people get your book. I hope, I hope, <laughs> I hope um, if someone is feeling hopeless that they know that this resource is available and get it for a friend, get your friend a study Bible. If they're feeling hopeless, get them a study Bible that like pertains to their life. You know, if it's a teenager, get like teenage Bible study, uh, you know, book that's the Bible with notes in it that can encourage them and then get them this hope realized book mm. by James Bell. Um, this is great. It's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple books. It's great. And is there anything else that you want to share with us ways to connect with you? Yeah. I mean, you can go to jameshbelt.com and you can sign up for my newsletter. You can see other ways to connect with me. Um, and you can, you can learn more about what I'm doing and you can, learn more about what Nico works is doing as well in Nicaragua. So thank yes, you. Yes, I do. I want to connect with that Nico works. That's how you say it, right? Nico yep. works. Nico okay. works. Yeah. And that's Nico.works is their website actually. Nico.works. And we yep. will put links to everything we're talking about in the description of this podcast. But I just want to thank you so much, James, for just taking a chance on this little podcast and uh, coming on and sharing what God's doing in your life. Cause we're so grateful. And for the person who's listening, I, I do hope that we dug deeper than the surface of just the word hope and that we got into the core meaning of it and that we've mm -hmm. encouraged you to go out and use your position, whatever it is to broadcast, not your own love, but to broadcast God's love and mm -hmm. do the good work that he has called you to do. So um, with that, we're just going to pray. We always pray at the end of every podcast. And I did feel um, during when you were talking and I'm just like, I just really want James to pray for the person who's listening, who feels hopeless. And uh, usually I pray at the end, but do you mind if you end it out with sure. a prayer? No, I'd love to. Lord, I just thank you for the chance to uh, just talk about the hope that you provide, Lord, that, um, 
that we aren't created hopeless, Lord, that you love us and that uh, you created us for a purpose, Lord, on purpose, and that, um, that Lord, we can grab onto that, that even in the midst of feeling hopeless, that we can know that there's hope and um, that, Lord, you've created us uh, you've created us to, to, to live a life, a full life, Lord. And I just thank you so much for that. I thank you for the chance to, um, just to remember that and to remember that there's no condemnation in Jesus. And I just pray that, um, people would know they can make a difference with their life and that their life has meaning. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church in Sebring, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to listen to Broadcast His Love with Ricky Van Stewart. I hope you will also consider joining us on our podcast as well. Our hope is to encourage you, inspire you, and compel you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. You can find us on every platform where podcasts are offered by simply searching for Grace Bible Church Sebring. Again, this is Pastor Dustin, and I hope to get to connect with you very soon. Hey, this is Mark Stockland, pastor and CEO for Haiti Bible Mission and Jeremy Haiti. If you'd like to follow along with what we're doing in Jeremy Haiti, you can check us out at HaitiBibleMission.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to get you guys connected with what we're doing in Jeremy Haiti and how you can partner with us to live the difference, to help empower leaders to transform communities. God bless you guys and have a great day. Hi y'all, this is Nan Charland, the owner of the Laurel Oak Inn Bed and Breakfast in Gainesville, Florida. You can find the Laurel Oak Inn on the internet at laureloakinn.com or Facebook and Instagram, Laurel Oak Inn. Until we meet you in person, we certainly hope you're enjoying life to its fullest. This is amazing!